Yeah. No, Lord of the Rings has been really good. We've been enjoying. I mean, to the point where Kelly's watching it with me, right? And she doesn't always watch stuff with me. So, right. a, a lot of my nerd TV habits, Kelly has not been into. That's fair, but I feel like there's an aesthetic to Lord of the Rings that makes it really easy to like visually digest, at the very least. It's funny because um, I joke all the time that The Hobbit was the first movie that Kelly ever watched with me. From I opened my can early to make sure I didn't smart later. Smart, look at that. Um, Lord of the Rings was the first movie, The Hobbit, no, sorry, the first fellow, Lord of the Rings movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, was the first movie that I ever watched with Kelly where she held still for the whole movie. And that's a very long movie. Yeah. That's impressive. Normally, it was, uh, she, we'd be watching a movie or something, we were still dating at the time, and she would get up and she'd be like, and she'd just kind of wander off and go start cooking something, or go start cleaning or something else, and it was like, and she's done. And <laughs> Clocking done. out. Yeah, and that one she, when we, because I got the extended version, so it was even longer, uh, and she's like, when I had to switch the DVDs, because it was DVD back then, right? When I had to switch the DVDs out, then she's just like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm going to get some popcorn, then we're going to go back, in the, and she watched the whole thing, so... It was a big deal. That was. It was a big deal. It's stepping stone in your marriage, for sure. Yes. Uh, hello, and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, your source for tabletop gaming news in Bloomington, Illinois, and beyond. I'm your host, John Parrott, and with me today is the ostentatious. O- ostentatious? Yes. Uh, staff member of Red, Red Raccoon Games. In fact, it's not just a staff member. It's the owner. Guys, this is a Just Jamie episode. Uh, hello, everybody. Ostentatious, though, really. I mean... Am I ostentatious? Isn't that a positive? I feel like I that's a positive. I don't know. Is it a positive? We're gonna. I mean, I think you can use ostentatious uh, multiple different ways, right? Yes. You know, I, I would say obnoxious. Oh, absolutely yeah. not. No, because you have the baritone voice. Really, that that saves you so many times. Yeah, you think so? I'm, oh, absolutely. You have a voice for radio and it shows. Yeah. Well... Uh, yeah, you know, I have, I have a face for radio too. So. I did not say yeah. that. Well, I, I did not no, make that I joke. That. I I'm did. drawing a line in the sand that I'm trying to be a very respectful I don't remember host. where I heard that for, for, for originally. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's been like used a lot. It's been such a long time. Like, was it on news radio originally? Is that where they started that one at? It's gotta be before then. Cause I feel like that must've been a joke when TV was first coming out and people were actually seeing people talking and being like, Oh. Yeah, they've got a face for radio. Well, you know, they talk about um, uh, the history books talk about when TV, how TV changed presidential elections. Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, because um, some of our former presidents of the United States were not attractive people, but they were good speakers and they sounded good on radio or they they look good in in print. But mm-hmm. then um, JFK was the first president where the TV involved in the debates and it changed the outlook of how American politics would go forever. Didn't was it Reagan that took a hit for looking at his watch, or was that Bush? Someone I don't, I don't in remember. the middle of a debate looked at their watch, and it was a whole entire scandal. Something you would never see if it was just an audio cast of what their words were, but because it was a visual medium, people could see. Is he bored? Is he not wanting to be here? Yeah, is he seeing when this is going to be done? Uh, so that definitely uh, makes a lot of sense. So yeah, this is. Not a podcast about old TV idioms and and other speeches. This is actually about board games and and old forms of entertainment and old forms of entertainment that are new again and exciting. It is true. Board exciting games exciting and new. Come we with us. just always a resurgence. I will say, last night I was talking to a friend who said that they were pay- playing Monopoly, and it hurt my heart. It just <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with Monopoly. 
the big problem with Monopoly is most people don't play with the right rules. They don't play with the auction rules because nobody ever reads the rule book from Monopoly. No. You, you play with whatever your older brother, sister, aunt, uncle, parents taught you, and everybody knows the wrong rules because Monopoly is only supposed to be a 90-minute game. If you play with the auction rules and if you play with the right rules, Monopoly's not a four-hour slugfest of hurt feelings and upset people. I recently also heard the same thing about Uno when there was a huge tirade on Twitter because Uno, the the Twitter feed, the official Uno, the one. official feed yeah. was putting out like these are the actual rules. And I think it was you can't play a draw four on a draw four or something like that. I think I think that's what it was. Yeah. And the whole world just said, "No, Uno, you're wrong about your own game. That's really sad <laughs> yeah, that you don't yeah. know how to play your own game." But well, that's the same thing too, right? Who actually was the person who got the Uno rules out of the box and read the rules, right? Exactly. Because I mean, if you even now, if you look at, uh, you open up a brand new copy of Monopoly, the rules are printed microscopically small, and you you feel like you need to get the magnifying glass out just to read the rules. They're they're it's like we don't want to waste paper on this rule book, whereas the games that we play most of the time anymore, I mean, have these big full color pages with beautiful pictures and diagrams, uh-huh. and until you get to a game that has a crappy rule book and you're then then we're all upset like this rule book sucks exactly which we will talk about in a little bit because we played some games together and we had some issues about one of our rule books <laughs> but i think that's very much kind of like a like a verbal history that's passed down through the ages like the same yes. way with board games like monopoly uno is usually someone older teaching someone younger uh-huh. and not necessarily looking at the rules for the first time so it's just been one of those things that's like a giant game of telephone but for rules of game well and i wonder how many card games like that over the years have evolved as well right oh, yeah. because you can trace i think that you could you know so from the midwest growing up we played euchre all the time and when I left and went to basic training, I went to the East Coast, and I'm like, you know, we got some downtime and stuff in between whatever we were working on, and uh, we had a pack of cards, and I'm like, all right, let's play some Uno or Euchre, and they all looked at me like, what the hell is Euchre? But they all, everybody knew how to play Spades, that was mm-hmm. from the East Coast. Everybody from the West Coast knew how to play Hearts, and the Midwest guys were the only ones who knew what the Euchre was. And Euchre is just, it's, it's almost exactly the same as Spades, but with fewer cards, nines and up, right? And it's like, did somebody just lose some of the cards and then they had to figure out how to play spades without all the cards and went, this is quicker, faster, easier than than spades is itself? To me, it has always been that Euchre was being was supposed to be a game of spades, but then somebody just didn't really like losing, so they kept on making rules up in the middle. No, no, jokers are higher now. No, the, the same color joker is higher than that. It's just one of the rules for euchre. It's my way of playing spades. Yeah, and, and, and hearts is really not that different from, from spades either. And then you get, um, you know, so my dad's family's from southern Illinois. And when we would go to grandpa and grandma's house, they always played this card game called 7-Up that I have mm-hmm. never been able to find the official rules anywhere. Like, it's not on the <laughs> internet, you know, and I was asking my dad about it. I'm like, how did you know how to play this? He's like, I don't know. Dad taught us. And how would how'd he know? Well, grandpa taught him, you know. And so I'm like, I don't know. I think this was just literally a game that my dad's family just made up. I don't think this was a real game. <laughs> and that, that very much could have been one. You know, so my dad is number two of 13 kids. And that very much could have been a, a game that, that grandpa made up on the fly just to shut the kids up. It's just very possible. entertain them. Very it's possible. possible. Well, knowing his personality, 100% feasible. 
story could happen right there. Well, luckily, Bloomington, Illinois has a game store where if you have any questions about your games, they can come in and they will do your best to help you understand rules and regulations with it. Yeah. Speaking of the store, as I go ahead and set myself up for my own segue, uh, how was the store this week and why was I it chaos? I just want to point out that this time you tr- you called out the segue, I did because me. I was I was jumping ahead of you. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to cut them off at the pass. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well... Today, while we're talking right now, Jesse is out at FlatCon, and he's running the FlatCon booth. So this week has been really a uh, little, 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 little hectic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mm-hmm. Caught myself. I didn't say it. Right L- there. Little hectic um, because FlatCon is Bloomington Normal's own gaming convention. Um, attendance was pretty good as of when I when I heard yesterday. You know, because everybody was worried about. This is the first time since 2019 we've had FlatCon because of stu- two years of stupid COVID. And um, we were worried about our people going to come back out to go to a gaming convention. And FlatCon was doing pretty good. Um, it's interesting, though, that I noticed some shifts. And I haven't. I'm, you know, Red Raccoon is not the official owner of FlatCon. We are the sponsor and we help and we do a lot of things to make it as successful as possible. But it's uh, the Gamers for Life group runs it. Um, and they are a charity group that is, there's, they're a Relay for Life team. So mm-hmm. all the money that generated by FlatCon is that's their fundraiser for Relay for Life. They set a little aside every year to operate the next year. you got to have that seed money, but the rest of it goes through Relay for Life, which I think is very cool. Very cool. Um, but it looked like this year that um, the RPG section at FlatCon is normally... Uh, one of the organizers said normally like 60% of the people who go to FlatCon are playing Pathfinder D&D or some variant therein. And this year, that room was pretty sparse. Really? Yes, very sparse. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of folks have transitioned to playing online and they just haven't come back to in-person for for playing yet. Uh, I think there's still plenty of people that have COVID worries. And uh, rightly so, because I know multiple people, uh, you know, here that I uh, have worked with in the past in town that got COVID this week. Yeah. Um, hopefully nobody gets it from FlatCon directly, but the world we live in now with Omicron is it's so freaking contagious. I f- keep on feeling like this is something that should have passed. And I have to remind myself, no, COVID is still a thing. Yeah. People are still infected. This is just now the flu. This is just another variant of the flu, and we'll have another variant every year. And, you know, mm-hmm. you get a new booster shot, just like I got my flu shot the other day. Because uh, uh, I'm of a, I am have reached an age where the doctors very strongly encourage you to get boost, uh, flu shots now. 26 seems like really young for oh, that, yeah. but okay. Uh, I, it's been 26 years since I got back from basic training, I think. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, no, the RPG section was uh, fairly, fairly empty this year. However, the board game section this year, which is in, in past years has been very sparse at FlatCon, was packed. Good. Packed. Uh, Chance and I grabbed a game to go sit down and play at a table, and we had to actually walk around and look for a table to find one that was open. Board game section was packed. So FlatCon... Uh, going great, going strong, nice attendance. Uh, probably won't beat 2019 numbers, but um, you know I think 2019 had 480-ish, and they were over 420 yesterday at mm-hmm. five o'clock. So more people might have came last night. More people might go for Sunday only. Um, 
but pretty good. I'm pretty happy about that. That's fantastic. Also this week, uh, release of the Warhammer 40k Commander decks. So this is part of the Universal Universes Beyond uh, series of Magic, where they are uh, borrowing IPs from other other sections. And I probably said things out of order. I could have made a nice transition for something else. But you're good. Uh, Warhammer 40k set. Nobody cared about it. it. You know, a few Warhammer 40k fans had pre-ordered, but it wasn't really very much. So, and then they started spoiling some of the cards for the set. And then the commander players were like, "Oh my god." I need all the decks. And so uh, I think that from reading online, a large majority of game stores ordered fairly light on this set. I don't think they printed a, a, a ton of it because those orders weren't there. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, we're, we've got like a couple decks upstairs right now. Uh, the it, everybody was caught off guard by the amount of interest shown. So it, it really isn't 40K driving it. It's really just the really good magic cards for Commander. However, you know, of course, if you Games Workshop, you're hoping that some of that rubs off and gains interest into this bigger world that they've built for exactly. um, Warhammer. And they look then, at some of that art and say, I want to know more about this guy. Why yeah. does he have robot tentacles? What's yeah. going on? And then this week we also saw uh, the release of another Magic set that was actually been delayed with all the shipping issues from April. The Unfinity set was supposed to be released for, on April Fool's Day. And they obviously did not make that mark because here we are in October and it just came out. The Unsets are, of course, uh, joke sets. They're crazy, ridiculous, over-the-top, obnoxious cards. Uh, and... Uh, we drafted it here on Friday night. We had a good group. Everybody had fun. It's it's just kind of ridiculous. The, the cards are ridiculous. And uh, this is the first time they've ever explored this idea of s putting stickers on your cards. Uh -huh. You know, like there's the, uh, what do they call it? The Juggle, Juggleatron is a card that you can put pieces of art stickers on it and for every sticker that isn't touching the juggalatron or the framework of the card you get a plus three plus zero that yeah. adds to it and that's 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 big if you can get small stickers and position them on the card just right you know and like i said it's a silly it's a fun set um most of the interest on that set after a few weeks wanes except for the full art land cards that come with it and they're absolutely beautiful um, and then um, we are also working on getting things organized for the Charizard Ultra Premium set that's coming up. And we had some unfortunate delays last week where uh, we didn't get the, 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 the standings out to everybody. Um, but we'll get those out tomorrow because we found out we're going to have 14 of those for sale in the store. And we've got well over 70 people who signed up that they want that set. So going to be super limited. Um, you know, we, uh, I was going to do all the drawings on Thursday night and unfortunately I got home and my, my 18 year old cat was sick and we ended up in the emergency vet and sadly had to put wobbles down that night. So, uh, you know, family emergency, um, I'll get back to it and get that stuff put away, um, and get everybody in for, in, in uh, notice out on Monday. So sorry, everybody, for the delay. For those of you that knew Wobbles, you knew that he was adorable, that he was a little bit of a wild card, and that he absolutely loved people that were allergic to him. <laughs> and his memory will always be a fond one that I keep. Yeah. 
However, going back to that Unfinity set, I did want to kind of cover some things that we had talked about in a previous podcast okay. about the stickers. Uh, so I went to the new collection of All Human Knowledge, which is known as TikTok, and actually found somebody using these cards and kind of giving a review of them. They are removable. So yeah, that means yeah. you can put them on, pull them off, and then actually reinsert them into the card where they came from. Um, but one of the things that a lot of people are upset about is they love the design, but they were not cropped enough so for example there was one of a hat and as a hat that you could put on a character you know model of another card but it had a big white outline around it and so it almost didn't make it feel like it was flush with the rest of the card so there's room for improvement there but from what you were saying and what i have heard uh the technology is at least working and it is fun to play in those kind of wild crazy experiences yeah there is a card um i can't remember what the name of it is there is a card that for every character for every card that you have on the field where there's a hat and being worn it gives bonuses and then Mm -hmm. there's another card that for every character that has a hat on it gets negatives so you know, you could um, you could play one that gives yourself bonuses. I could play one on you that gives you negatives for having characters with hats on it. So, yeah, I heard the same thing about the stickers too. Um, I don't know enough about the die cut industry and printing to know how difficult cropping those things are. I you know I'm vaguely familiar with this idea from graphic design that you create everything with a bleed, uh-huh. so that if it's not cut perfectly, it doesn't look like there's white borders on it. Um, you know, you would think that we're getting a little bit better uh, in terms of our technology with the ability to cut more accurately, but not my field of expertise. So I think there's, while there's probably room for improvement, people still have a lot of fun. We will not be starting a die cut podcast anytime soon. Yeah, we're going to leave that to somebody else. Exactly. So speaking of leaving things to other people, uh, we'll leave magic to other people. When it comes to games that you and I play, however, that's normally not our go-to. And we actually got the opportunity to sit down and play what at first was a frustrating, but then ended up being a really fun game (laughs) together called Azul, uh, was it Queen's Garden? Queen's Garden, yes. Yes. Going back to our Monopoly reference, when you play with the correct rules... It helps so much. It helps so much. It helps so much. Because I was so frustrated that first game, and and we had read one, one rule one rule incorrectly that um, we were playing that at the end of every round you had to discard any tiles you hadn't used and take negative points for all those tiles when the actual rule, rule is supposed to be you may discard. Such an important distinction. Yeah, because I was, with that first round, I was at... I was at I lost, you gained 12 points and I got negative 13. Yep. Yeah, that that was not nearly as fun as when we played with the right rules. <laughs> I feel like there should be a new status, like a new standard going through board games where if you use the words may or can, like you have to bold those. Like people need to see specifically that this is a may, not a you have to. Yeah. No, it was it was a really cool game because we were going to give up on it. We were, and then I'm like, well, let's try it again. Once we figured out we'd been, we were already three quarters of the way in the game with the rules playing incorrectly, and I was losing, and I was so super frustrated. Um, and then we, I'm, I was the one to push. I said, let's try it again with the right rules and see what we think. And then we all had a good time after that. We the second time through. I still lost. But not, lost, by, but not by the negative amounts that you're having. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will like to give a shout out to our pro bono rules lawyer, my wife Amanda, who actually went through and reread and found that May because of her eagle eyes when it comes to rule books. 
Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, she and I actually got to play a game of Sobek last night, which is a new two-player game. Jesse and Alexis have been telling everybody about Sobek. It was fantastic. Yeah? Uh, it's pretty simple. It doesn't take a lot to to grasp the rules and how to get points. Uh, but for a two-player like light game where you just want to play something fun and you don't want to have to worry about a bunch of uh, complicated strategies if you're just wanting to play a game, it's perfect. It was really great. Um, basically, it's a tile collector. You're trying to make sets. But the way that the board is positioned, it's a basically a grid layout. And you can only choose certain directions each time that you pick up a tile. So a tile will tell you, to you from this point, you can either pull tiles from north or south or east or west or diagonally in a specific direction. And so then you have to decide, okay, which one is going to benefit me the most? And while you can choose any tile in that row... The more that you have to leapfrog, the more minus points you're going to take. All right. So it's a lot of fun. If you're looking for something just for two people, that is going to be a, a just a fun, simple date night. Uh, highly suggest Sobek. Definitely. I know that it is, um, it is featured prominently in our 2022 holiday catalog. Brittany has been working on the catalog, and it should be out just in time for the, uh, rip, uh, for the groundbreaking. Perfect. Yeah, so we, uh, uh, well, I should probably mention that too. Um, Why don't we go ahead and just move into the news? And I would say this is the biggest news we have. There's a groundbreaking for the new store coming up. Everybody that listens to this, if you're available to come, you're invited. We are doing a groundbreaking on the new, for our new location, for the new building on October the 18th, Tuesday, at 4 p.m. So maybe get here 15, 20 minutes early. Um There'll be a little groundbreaking ceremony. Then we're going to invite everybody in. and It'll be the first time people are allowed to come in and kind of explore the space. And uh, it is not ready. This is the groundbreaking to get ready to start the construction, right? No construction has been done. So far, we swept the floors. That's about as far as we've gotten. We swept the floors. Now, to be fair, there was some redeco to the outside already with uh, the concrete work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, one of the things you'll see during the groundbreaking is, and, and this had, this was all in motion before we bought the building, the city just redid and is building out a little Route 66 parklet right in, on the corner, right in front of the building, uh, the new building at 301 North Main. So a few years ago, well, there's a push from the state of Illinois for the 100th anniversary of Route 66 that's coming up. And I think the 100th anniversary is in 2024, maybe, 2025. I'd have to double-check myself on that one. And um, Route 66 is still in the top three tourist attractions for the state of Illinois. Uh, Chicago, Abraham Lincoln, and Route 66 change positions every year, depending on which news article you read, in terms of which one is more important in terms of uh, amount of tourism it brings into the state. And... Of course, we have two of those, Abraham Lincoln and Route 66, which is why the museum, which is will be facing catacorning towards the Museum of History, has the uh, cruising on Route 66 Lincoln um, uh, Museum uh, inside of the basement, the, uh, the displays and everything that they have there. So uh, there was a Route 66 sign right there in the corner, and now there's a bigger parklet, I think, if I remember right, the, the, the Central Illinois Realtors Association 
donated some benches and they're going to paint the Route 66 logo out there in stencil it into the uh, into the new cement that they just poured. And coincidentally, all of that got done is going to be done just in time Perfect. for our um, groundbreaking. There's the same day as our groundbreaking, and I didn't know this. This was a complete accident of scheduling. There is also a Main Street, Illinois conference. That is all the communities in Illinois talking about how to re- revitalize their downtown. So I think a bunch of those people are randomly going to come to our groundbreaking, <laughs> which is, is weird. Um, all that's run through the Department of uh, Commerce and Economic Opportunity for the city or for the state of Illinois. And uh, it's all happening at the same time. So October 18th, Tuesday, 4 p.m. If you want to come to the groundbreaking and see the new space, um, we aren't letting anybody go to the basement. A lot of people want to see the creepy basement. That's nope. a that's a safety hazard, an OSHA hazard. A the city is going to uh, slap me if I let anybody down there. Hazard. There's. I've been down there lately. There are too many girls with long black hair covering their faces for it to be anywhere near safe. Don't joke about that. I mean, there's a couple <laughs> staff members that don't want to go down there anyway. Uh, yeah, there's the basement is is. It has some fairly horrifying vantage points right out of every scary movie ever. Um, and But you'll be able to go around the upstairs and see, kind of explore the space. Kelly is um, taking charge of refreshments. And I think most people know that we like to support local. I know that right now she has ordered Red Raccoon Raspberry Ribbon Ice Cream from wow. Theo's. Yes. She has uh, chocolate-dipped custom Red Raccoon Oreos from Mrs. Kim's Confections. She has uh, custom Red Raccoon Donuts from Grove Street Bakery. And I don't even know what else is there. Oh, and uh, we, we always do our board games and beers partnership with Keg Grove. She got a keg of Oktoberfest from Keg Grove Brewery as well. So perfect. those of you who are of adult um, status um, may enjoy a tasty um, Oktoberfest from Keg Grove. Trust Kelly. She is not going to let you down. Come for the ribbon cutting. Yeah. Stay for the food. Yeah, so we're just trying to say a thank you, kind of a party for all the people that helped make us make this happen for us over the years. We're going to have some visuals from the architects of what we think the space is going to look like. We have, right at this, I think uh, a lot of stuff with I'm learning is with architects and um, contractors is you have a visual of what you want to achieve and you hope that you can actually achieve that. Global shipping issues are still a real thing. Mm-hmm. Doors and windows are apparently problems. We actually ordered the elevator two months ago because they were afraid that that was going to be the problem. Uh, the electricians were telling me that it's weird that you the things they think are going to be issues turn out to be just fine. And then there's some weird little nut or adapter that they need to connect things together and that's the part that's missing for six weeks and they can't get them and it it doesn't work and it's not um, finished until that's put in place so they it's it's all sorts of screwy stuff so everything that's happened to us in the board game industry is also happening to all the contractors and materials providers all around the world it's still a problem too um but it'll be it'll be fun it'll be fun and it's, it's probably only going to be a half hour, 45 minutes, and uh, we'll have, a, I think that'll be the reveal of the new catalog, as I was talking about, that Brittany's building will have some QR codes where you can download it and share the catalog. 
Uh, we are not doing a print one this year. We are only doing a digital catalog. And um, there may or may not be some coupons for the store. Maybe. Maybe. There's only one way to find out. Yeah. Now, sadly, this ribbon cutting is going to be happening in the future. Ribbon cutting, future, groundbreaking now. I keep using the words half the time. Sorry. Ha- incorrectly half the time. So, groundbreaking is coming up soon. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about something that actually happened previously this okay. week as we get into our new news article. Okay, what do you uh, got? And that is Hasbro PulseCon. Hasbro PulseCon. So, for many okay. of you that know, Hasbro has... Very much a stranglehold, almost, on some of our favorite franchises, from yes. Transformers to Dungeons & Dragons. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. Power, Power Rangers, Rangers. Has the work. My so, Little Pony, Nerf. This last Almost week, like they're a mega corporation that has bought up brands over the years and hangs I, on to them. I don't see a problem with that. Dungeons & Dragons, Magic the Gathering. Look, Disney gave me She-Hulk, and I could not be happier. So, <laughs> no arguments here. Um, but I will say that Hasbro released some really interesting news uh, during PulseCon. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, so, for example, they released that they're getting some new Transformers figures. There's going to be a Dinobot set that actually is a combiner. It creates the combined version of Volcanus of all the Dinobots, which looked cool. Yeah. Um, definitely doing some re-releases of some classic G.I. Joes. I saw those. Uh, yes, but one of the things that popped out that caught, I think, both of our eye was the return of Heroescape. Heroescape. Now, Heroescape was something I saw on the shelf at Walmart growing up, but I, I had nor the time, nor the interest, nor the finances at the time to truly invest. But, Jamie, it sounds like you have more of a history with it. Yeah, I, well, so Heroescape is more of a... Heroescape is a miniatures game. We would call it a miniatures skirmish game now. And it was one of the early ones that actually had painted plastic models, right? There have been many skirmish games over the years that came with cardboard standees. And then, of course, we had, um, you know, minis that were used for playing Dungeons & Dragons. And somebody said, hey, how do we make a mass market appeal version of this game that has really interesting, really cool 3D terrain, which was, that was really its most innovative feature, I think, was the 3D terrain that they they brought to mass market, but also brought forward some really, um, you know, and now they look kind of primitive, but at the time they were cutting edge pre-painted miniatures that you could get to play the game with. And it was one of those ones where they pulled from all sorts of themes, right? There was a fantasy set, there was a Marvel set, there were um, some uh, sci-fi kind of almost like Men in Black agents sets as well. And all the pieces combined to play whatever scenario you wanted. Um, it's it's kind of its claim to fame and where it uh, holds a place in a lot of people's hearts where the terrain, though, that um, you had these interlocking hexes that uh, most people had a love-hate relationship with. Because when you interlock them together, you could build these amazing, cool 3D terrain. Within, and being um, up above other characters actually could give you some combat bonuses of shooting down or jumping down onto people. But, um, man, sometimes assembling that stuff would be like, you, or taking it apart to change it would be an hours-long painful uh, exercise. And so... It was, it, but it was, it was really cool. Like I said, it was, it was some of the earliest pre-painted minis that I can remember, and it was a competitor at the time 
to the Dungeons and Dragons miniatures game that was out because they were from different companies, right? I don't, mm-hmm. if I remember the timeline right, and somebody will correct me, I'm sure if I'm wrong, I don't think Hasbro had bought Wizards of the Coast yet when HeroScape came out. I think that came, that was a later thing. And so Wizards of the Coast had a really successful um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons miniatures game that was that went on for uh, many years. I want to say eight different seasons or eight different releases of those, and they covered almost every monster that was in the monsters manual. Um, and uh, tons of people played that. It was really fun. And uh, I, but. Um, they never really did a whole lot with terrain at all. And so when Heroescapes came on with this cool, this idea that um, the terrain made a difference of where you were in this positioning and stuff, and and many, many people combined the two of them together. Right. Saying, you know, there's a lot of people that didn't care about the Heroescapes game. They just really wanted to train sets. And so they would buy those train sets and use them for their D&D miniatures game. So... I, I remember, and I think this is probably a big boon to Heroescape, as I said, I saw it at Walmart. I never saw the D&D games at Walmart. I'm yeah. guessing they were more at hobby stores. But somehow Heroescape was able to kind of make that leap into more of a casual experience. Yeah. Um, which I think is what Hasbro is hoping to happen again. Uh, the set looks nice. There are 70 unpainted figures that that's, come interesting. In that's interesting that's mm-hmm. interesting that this that where i remember their claim to fame being was that and, and maybe the first sets of heroescape weren't and and i'm wrong but i i remember them being like oh these are painted uh there's still 3d terrain and they actually the, the new set comes with walls and doors and things like that so you can build blockades and things along those lines however hasbro has taken a weird uh, approach to this so they haven't just announced that it's coming out they've actually said this is a a crowdfunded campaign but it's not through kickstarter it's, and they've been doing a lot of that they have but this one's not through kickstarter no it's they, not through they created Found. their own platform to do it at pulse yes because they don't want to pay kickstarters 15 percent that kickstarter takes off the top exactly and one added thing that goes to that is they aren't looking for a number of dollars they're looking for a number of backers so their goal is technically eight thousand backers and from right now when we're recording this, there's only 2,000 backers so far, and it was released this week. If I were looking at this from you know Kickstarter GameFound numbers, I would say, this is not going to make it. Yeah, not every one of their uh, things that they put out at Pulse.com for like this crowdfunding thing has been successful. Mm-hmm. There's been some really cool ones that didn't actually fund, that didn't get made. Um before we move on, just real quick, too, I, and it's just because somebody is stewing that's listening to this podcast. Later on, towards the end of Heroescape, there was official D&D characters. I should say that because oh, okay. somebody uh, is going to bring that up. And then, you know, because we, after I bought the store from Ken, we were doing some kind of deep cleaning in the back and moving around some racks in the back storeroom, which most of you have never seen and you don't want to. Nope. And we found a couple of sealed cases of the D&D ones that Ken had squirreled away, way in the back, and brought them out, and people went crazy for them. Um, but, yeah, the, I, I, don't, I wonder if the price point is wrong because uh, they set the price point on this at $249. Mm-hmm. It's not unreasonable compared to some of the miniatures games that we've been seeing coming out that are um, – uh, 
have that many min- miniatures in there, right? right. So, so 249 is not unreasonable for that number of miniatures because making the molds for all those miniatures, that's the expensive part. When you talk to manufacturers, every individual mini that you're going to produce, making the mold for that mini is, they said, is one of the most expensive parts of the entire creation process. So they must have already figured out that at 8,000 backers, that's where they're going to be able to make 70 new molds, plus the molds for the train. If they, exactly. I'm assuming they don't have the original molds anymore. And, or hopefully uh, they've updated them from what you were saying. It would be nice if they actually found a way to make them go together and come back apart a little easier than they used to. Because, man. Um, so it, it is an interesting approach. But, um, yeah, Hasbro has not been successful in all their stuff. So somebody's doing a cost analysis of, if we're going to do this, this is how many we've got to sell in order to make this happen. On a Kickstarter, though, a lot of times you would see this being a... Um, there's a base set and then there's optional expansion buys. And then most people just do the all in anyway at the end, uh, which was what happens with every CMON thing that we, we bring in at the store. But um, I don't know. We're going to see how this one flies. I think there's going to be, they teased this one uh, weeks ago, mm-hmm. a couple months ago in the background. Everybody was like, <gasps> it's back. Because I think they teased it at the end of the announcement for the D&D 1 playtest thing didn't they have like a brief screenshot during that video i believe so yes just to try and cross uh create some cross hype yeah um i will say that thinking about other skirmish games that have come out at that price point the ones that i'm thinking of there's not too many skirmish games that have both tileage and minis like that so if you look at something Most like a cardboard tile exactly or things like x-wing where you can kind of play it wherever you want um and you don't need specific terrains per se so this the price point might make sense for a game of this size, but the question is, are people going to play it just for a skirmish game? If this was a game with like a narrative component, like we've seen with, um, yeah, I'm completely blanking well, on it, like Lord of the Rings, yeah. that that legacy game, um, Journeys in Middle Earth. Thank you. Yes, uh, and then Journey into Darkness, I think, is another one. The big blue box. Yeah, or Cthulhu uh, Death May Die. Exactly. I mean, I'm seeing. That many minis in a box uh, with terrain, I, I feel like the price is right. It's just a question of will people pay for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point because skirmish games uh, have a very different subset of people versus more of the campaign style games, uh-huh. right? Uh, that's that's a really good point. That's a really good point. There's also, when Heroescape came out originally, there were not a lot of options, uh, but now there's a lot, right? There's, we yeah, just named five fairly quickly, but there's a lot of options for skirmish games now. There's a lot of options for narrative games, and there's a lot of options for games that come with minis that are um, maybe even more detailed yes. than these ones are. So um, we're living in the glory days of uh, games with a lot of minis right now, and, and maybe this one hasn't isn't pushing the envelope in terms of what they can do far enough yet. That nostalgia is just not keeping up, maybe. Which, the, you know, the last one that they did for the nostalgia play was um, uh, Hero Quest. Yes. Which they blew that one out of the park in terms of the number of backers and the amount of money that they raised, and, and there's new expansions coming out for that. Like, we just got Keller's Keep and stuff that are going to dribble out as well. I think well. the Mage expansion's coming out soon, I think yeah. I saw. Yep. 
that's still that is a game that I got to play once growing up as a kid and always craved playing again because it was so amazing. Um, can't get the base game again. I know it's, it's gone keeps, forever. The base game keeps selling out. Yep. Hopefully they make another run of it. Well, hopefully Hasbro does a lot of things. Uh, and one of the big changes that they're actually making is in relation to D and D. It was announced this week that Wizards of the Coast is appointing a former Microsoft employee as the new VP of Dungeons and Dragons. This is a it's just an interesting play for them. Uh, you know, this gentleman's background is all in e-commerce and Office 365 and and kind of those direct to consumer products that Microsoft created. Right? It, when uh, I think most people know that my background's in tech, and in the earlier days when I was just getting started you needed to hire a computer guy to do pretty much everything because the server-side components and stuff were just so complicated that unless you had specific training, you just couldn't pull it off. Setting up a server, installing the platforms, getting everything configured right, making sure security was handled. Um, and, and with the advent of a lot of things like Gmail and Yahoo Mail and, and then Office 365 pushing the envelope on the cloud and self-service style portals, they brought the price point down where small businesses could compete with and have all the same tools and resources that big businesses did. So um, this gentleman, and I, I'm blanking on his name. You his probably name, have it there. It is. Uh, his name is Dan Rawson. And if you want to go ahead over to Dicebreaker, there's an excellent article by Chase Carter that uh, – covers all of this but one part i'll quote is rawson's position is a new one created as part of wizard's plan to apply more resources to the digital side of DD. he was formerly the coo of microsoft dynamics 365 and according to the press relief bring decades of leadership in strategic business e-commerce and product management yeah so we've talked about in previous episodes of red raccoon radio that with this new D&D 1 announcement, you know, we, we talked about Hasbro bought D&D Beyond. Mm-hmm. We talked about um, their announcement with their that they're going to compete now with Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds and Foundry and all those kind of online portals. And um, so now they, you know, is this guy brought in to build on that business of that direct-to-consumer business with D&D Beyond and um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at where does this leave game stores? Because we've discovered that a vast majority of people want the physical book and the PDF of the book. Yes. They, they want the physical book because of the nostalgia, because I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I'm reading the D and D book is I'm, I've got them in the, on the nightstand next to the bed and I'm reading those as my, it's time to turn tech off. It's time to focus on other things and read and relax and um, so most of my consumption of the D&D books is actually laying in bed and reading the books until it's time to take them to the table and uh, and then when you're at the table there's a there's definitely a convenience to say what was that rule yep. being able to search a PDF instantly for it I will try and say this as family friendly as possible but Stan Lee on the conversation of online comics versus real comics always said uh he compared it to a part of the female anatomy uh, in the sense that it's really nice to look at, but that doesn't mean I don't want to feel it. 
And I think that kind of fits here as well. I've never heard that quote from yes. before. <laughs> yes. Um, obviously, it a little later on in his life when he wasn't worried about being so PC. But the point is, there is an aesthetic to being able to have that book in your hand, especially when it has that that history of being that book, the book that you go to. And when someone comes and say, I want to learn how to play D&D, I don't feel like I should tell them, okay, go to a website. Yeah. I feel like I should say, you need a player's manual. You need the handbook. Yeah. Here it is. This is everything you need. Well, and and at a certain point too, right, one of the questions that we get all the time is, how do I get my kid to put down their cell phone? How do I get my kid to turn off the Xbox? Because we know through countless studies that – especially in early education, that the amount of technology and screen time that kids um, consume is changing their personality. And that's why there are so many warnings on various things of, um, you know, do not, what's your age, okay? We're changing how we handle privacy. We're changing what kind of tech they're allowed to use. Parents are putting on parental controls, things of that nature. So a lot of people feel really relieved when they find out their kids are getting in the D&D because they're going to put their phones down. They're going to check back into reality and, well, check back into reality to play a fantasy game, but check back in to real life and communicate with people. Real people. Real people, yeah. Well, I mean, there's real people on the other ends, but people in real life. Um, my friend Jody is a communications professor at... ISU and has her doctorate and she teaches the comms class and she when she assigns some of her students out projects where they have to interview other people in the communications industry to say here are some future jobs that you might go for if you get a degree in communications she had to write them guides of how to call people because they didn't know how to call people because it specifically says you're not allowed to email them you're not allowed to text them you must call them and schedule an interview and people didn't know how it's not true of everybody, obviously, yes. Yes. but there is a there are people who are losing their ability to communicate with folks in face to face. We see it all the time here at the store. Mm-hmm. People who are not comfortable talking to people, um, and the communication style of working through something like a D and D and and sitting and talking and conversing in a group um, is, I think, very one of those very important things that our industry can do to to help yeah. civilization. agree. Back to the article, I do want to say that in my job, in my current day-to-day job, I am actually a a technology uh, enablement specialist. Uh, Part of my job is to basically introduce people to Microsoft and the wide range of tools that they have with it. So not just Word, Excel, but some of the other things that are out there, such as workflows and things like that. And from from a personal viewpoint, I absolutely love that they got a Microsoft person who is focused on the Dynamics 365 to look at this because they have been trying to build this interconnectivity by getting D&D Beyond, by helping D&D Beyond, you know, have the books ready, by actually I think one of the smartest moves they've made in the last few months has been not doing Unearthed Arcana inside of D&D Beyond anymore because it was a lot of work for a lot of times that they had to, you know, reel it back and not actually go through with it or change it up. So they're waiting until it's official material before they actually put it out. And to me, that is good process management. 
and something that I, I hope that we begin to see more and more of is this interconnectivity, this symphony of different tools that are we're going to be able to use. However, as this podcast is related to a game store that I passionately love and learn to play D&D through to a degree and and work at and help people get into D&D, I, I am still waiting for them, and I know you are too, Jamie, to say we recognize that game stores are where where adventures are starting. Yeah. Well, and this is this is not, I've, I've said it before, there, you don't even have to create new technology to do this, right? Mm-hmm. There's two different approaches. Um, our, all of our indie RPG books, almost all of them, when you buy the book, we they're part of the Bits and Mortar program. And we just open up the bits and mortar portal and we type in somebody's email address and poof, you bought the book. Now you get a free PDF copy of the book. That's easy. Uh The other way that you could quickly and easily do it is you could say um, you could bundle them together and we could have a little spinner rack behind the counter that has um, cards that look exactly like the steam cards that you buy at the grocery store right now. And we say each one of the, there's a card that's got the player's handbook. Somebody comes to register and say, um, I, okay, I want this player's handbook. And we could say, would you like the PDF to go along with that? And so there's one price, like if you get the PDF separate, you get the book separate, or if you buy them as a bundle, there's three price kind of price points there. And we hand them the card and they go home and they, they scratch off a code. They take the code to D&D Beyond and they type in that code and it unlocks the 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 content there so again steam itunes lord knows how many different of those scratch off things that are in every grocery store in america they've had this up and running i think steam's been doing this with steam codes for games since i used to work at electronics boutique in 2004. Um, this is not new technology it already exists um, even if electronics boutique doesn't anymore this technology has been around for you know almost 20 years and, and then as a, as a game store owner, I would be like, when we, it's time to restock, I'd say, I want 10 copies of the player's handbook. And I know that six out of 10 people are going to add on the code. I want 10 copies of the, the book and six, six of the code cards. And then we just have them in stock hanging behind the counter. It's, it's all easy to do. It's, it's, well, it's, it's all not Possible. new tech. Right. And then we could encourage people too, but it, there are a lot of ways where this looks like they are trying to figure out how to shut game stores down. That's what it, you know. And Whether so, that's their intent or not, that's what it feels like. Right, right. And so, and there are people that don't have good game stores. I see this argument all the time. Well, there is no game store near me. Okay. But um, creating a solution for the people that have no game store near them shouldn't shut down the people that have game stores near them that enjoy the game stores that do the right things. That you know? sell the products, that buy and sell your products, that hype it up, that gives yeah. promotions, that throws conventions where people can play the game. Yeah. Like, yeah, we, I mean, through the store, Brittany um, organized, and I helped her a little bit, all of the Dungeons & Dragons Adventure League that everybody's enjoying out at FlatCon right now. Uh, this last month, there was a promotion from Wizards of the Coast that said, hey, um, you guys should all learn how to run. Uh, you should all run, how, learn how to play D and D events at your store. And so here's this little kit. And I wrote back to them. I'm like, 
been doing that for years. We do that. We do one of these every month, not one time because you finally have figured out that maybe this is important. So it's this, there's various stores with various levels of engagement and, and it, it does feel sometimes like they're trying to figure out how to shut down the stores that are already doing the right things. Exactly. Well, sadly, it'll still be a while before we, we see the changes that are going to come from this new VP and hopefully he'll be able to turn the ship into a direction that can benefit everybody. Yeah. However, right now with the sad thought process, let's talk about what new things that we can buy that would actually make us happy. Let's talk about the new hotness in the store. <laughs> so to, I was like, where are you going? With I this know one, it, it took me a little while to get through the yeah. forest, but I got there. So I'm going to just say stuffies, 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 uh, squishmallows, Pokemon. They are littering the new hotness right now. They are. They are. Well, so we have now hit October. Mm-hmm. We are officially into Christmas shopping season. Um, there are parents who are already buying. There are parents who are already done. As somebody who um, doesn't start shopping for Kelly until about December 20th, uh, I'm a little um, perplexed by these folks that are already claiming to be completely done. Monsters. Yes. Uh, um, but uh, so a lot of the stuff that we have been ordering to be ready for Q4 is now all starting to show up. And in the last week, it has been a dramatic amount of stuffy slash plush plush slash um, stuffed animals, however you want to refer to it, from, yeah, so we've got some Squishmallow up there. We've got uh, a bunch of Tea Turtle, the reversible ones from Tea Turtle, where it's mm-hmm. a happy face on the inside, a sad face on the other side, um, have been incredibly popular. And then, of course, our friends at Squishables, um, you know, we're still working our way through all that as well. So very, uh, very significant increase in those. And it's, um, uh, we haven't even put out the ones that are actually um, winter Christmas themed. Right. Yeah, those aren't even on display yet. They're just sitting out of the way because we didn't want to put them out yet. We we are still before Halloween. And so a lot of the Squishmallows that you have, not Squishmallows, uh, Squishables you have, uh, are are more horror themed, and I yes. absolutely love them. Yes. Uh, we have gorgons now. Yep. Uh, we have cauldrons with little smiley faces, which are absolutely adorable. I love the fact that there's a uh, an eyeball boiling to the top that sits yes. on top of the cauldron, and a bat bat wing that's hanging out the side of it. Perfect. Um, I know that I get to work in the store occasionally. I get to sell somebody on, of course, the classic uh, plague doctor. Yep. Which. There's some legal concerns that are coming out because there is a plague doctor, plague nurse, and gargoyle that looks a lot like the Squishables version of these items. Yeah. So, I Squishmallow's think... pushing the limits pretty hard on some Squishable designs. Yes. So, we'll see how that shakes out. I think that there is a, a cease and desist the liches, out there. So. There's a there's a lich that came in too, and the that lich is, is very cool. He's awesome. Uh, yeah, so we're we're we focus a lot. We tend to focus a lot on the ones that are um, fantasy themed. Mm-hmm. However, some of the other ones sneak in because they're just stupidly cute. Uh, like pump, we have a pumpkin spice latte squishable. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like, that's not gonna sell. It sells. It, it sells. keeps selling. So it sells. The uh, the then going right along with those in, in terms of uh, stupidly cute themed, 
is a game that we had that I was going to talk about, and uh, it's sold out right now. But luckily, we have a restock already on the way, which is Flamecraft. Oh, yes. Flamecraft is a Kickstarter. We've got the deluxe version. Um, there's We don't have the Kickstarter version because of things, but we have the deluxe version. So there was a Kickstarter version, a deluxe version, and a standard version. Um, the Kickstarter one has a few exclusive things that came with it that we don't have, and we're not happy about that. But the deluxe version has most of the upgrades, and it's a game about finding jobs for cute dragons. Mm-hmm. And, and where's the dragon going to work, and can you find most jobs for them and make them uh, and, and earn as many points as possible along the way. I know for a while Facebook had inundated me with posts about this game, simply yeah. with the image of a waiter with a small dragon on a shoulder uh, and the dragon was finishing off a creme brulee, acting as the torch. Yeah. That yeah. sort of cute, like, <laughs> find jobs for dragon game is what we're talking yeah. about. Or um, heating up teapots for yes. somebody at the tea house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and here's the fun thing with um, Flamecraft. So we, we, we backed it on Kickstarter. It's from Cardboard Alchemy and Lucky Duck Games. We've worked with both of them before. They're very good partner companies to work with. And we backed it on Kickstarter. And when all the emails were coming in, I backed so many Kickstarters that I just get inundated with email. And so I filled out the pledge manager. And um, I was like, okay, cool. Flamecraft, I'm done with. And I moved up on my day. And then like a week and a half or two weeks later, I got an email that said, hey, just a reminder to fill out the pledge manager. And in my brain, I was like, I swear to God, I filled that out. Maybe I forgot to hit the submit button or something. So I went in and I filled out the pledge manager. And it turns out that I actually filled out the pledge manager correctly twice, uh, which is going to work out well for us because the first wave that got here from the first time I filled it out has already sold out completely. Um, At FlatCon, we took a couple of cases with us to FlatCon, and they... um, they bought a copy of Flamecraft to put into the huge board game library at FlatCon. There was one group of people who were sitting at a table and they played a full game of Flamecraft. Then they got up, they checked theirs back into the library, and all four of them came to the booth and bought a copy of Flamecraft. That's a fantastic story. Yeah, and I was just like, oh boy. Uh, So we are now sold out at FlatCon and in the store, but the second... um, uh, pledge manager that I filled out should be here in the next few days. Fantastic. And so I was just like, and I'm already going, this is one we were going to put into the catalog. Um, this is one we were going to put into the catalog. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another new item that we have, well, I, I don't know if we still have any now that I think about it, uh, is Marvel Champions, which I'm a big fan of, so obviously I clocked this right away, uh, was the the new expansion that is now introducing the X-Men into the Marvel's Champions universe. Right. So there's a core box that has uh, uh, Colossus and Kitty Pride, and then boosters of Cyclops and Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jean Grey is really interesting because her nemesis is herself because she goes into Dark Phoenix the mode. Phoenix Force. Yes. So if you're a player of those games, that's really great. I do know we also have a new game from a local creator, correct? Yeah, Alien Pet, uh, Alien Pet Shop. Yes. So it's from uh, Greg uh, uh, Grimsby, and it's the fourth game that we have that is made was made by somebody who lives in Bloomington Normal. We've had games uh, from people who live in other communities around us, like Elf Creek Games in Champaign or Forbidden mm-hmm. Games up in Plainfield. This is the fourth one 
from somebody who lives in the community with us. And Greg brought those in. They look fantastic. And it is literally a game where you are running a pet shop competing against other pet shop owners to collect and sell the most ridiculously cute baby aliens, uh, alien monsters that are out there. And there's so many sci-fi tropes that are hidden in this that are just absolutely fabulous. The art is done by Greg himself as well, I think, if I'm remembering that right. And it, everything just looks awesome. Yep. It looks it looks it looks great, and it's been pretty popular out at FlatCon as well. So that's a that's another good one as well, and uh, it's selling pretty quickly. And um, we're trying to actually organize a day where like a an evening or a Saturday or something where you can come in and play with Greg on the game that he made, and then ask him questions about the process of like what it's like to make a game and get it published. Uh, and uh, he is part of the local playtesters group that we have that meets on the second Tuesday of every month here at the store. So we have a bunch of other people who are currently working on games, and we've got designers, and then they, they bring their designs in. They can sign up for a slot, and then we are always looking for more people to playtest these early prototype versions of the game and provide feedback to the designers about what worked, what felt clunky, what needs to be changed completely, um, and which parts were awesome. So um, I've got to play a few prototypes of games that are that are making their way through the system. I know uh, Ben Rossi, who is uh, probably the most famous game that he made so far was uh, Between Two Cities, but you and I and Amanda also played Search for Planet X. Yes. Um, Ben uh, has a new game that he is currently pitching to publishers. I think he's got two that he's actually pitching to publishers right now, trying to get a couple more made as well. And I'm, I've offered up some of the people that I know too that he should probably have a conversation with, and hopefully we can get something happening there. I'm just gonna say, talking to creators might make a really great podcast episode. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, we will. Uh, you know, I reach out to Ben, reach out to uh, Greg and Gage or Michael, and see if any of them was willing to join us. That's a good idea. That'd be fantastic. So that's what you can come in the store and get today. What events are coming up this next week that might be a good reason to also pop in? You know, this week is a lot of our standard stuff that is coming up. So um, we're coming up quickly on our next Gundam build night. We're coming up actually. Um, the second Tuesday of the month is actually this upcoming Tuesday, and I don't think the playtesters are getting together this month because they just—they've been meeting at FlatCon. But uh, you know, the best way to do it is check out the events calendar uh, at RedRaccoonGames.com. I know there's another pre-release coming up for Digimon. We just had a very successful pre-release for the uh, the One Piece uh, TCG, and everybody had a great time with that. Um, and so the regular release of that one is, I want to say, in early November. A lot of the there's a lot of stuff coming in early November. The Brothers War, the next Magic Steps in November. Um, the One Piece TCGs November. The next Pokemon set, which is Silver Tempest, is in November. Um, the Charizard Ultra Premium set I talked about is October 28th. There's just a ton coming. Ladies and gentlemen, I just need to tell you that right now, Jamie is remembering all of these names without any sort of assistance. There's no piece of paper. There's no phone in him that he's reading these <laughs> off of. These are locked inside of his mind, and it is 
always impressive to see. These are brain cells that I'm never going to recover for other uses. That's what this is. (laughs) These are Pokemon brain cells. That's how they're geared. They have a red top and a white bottom. Um, But with that, our episode comes to a close. I'd like to thank the Jamie uh, that joined me today. And if you want your chance to talk about Tabletop with him or any of the other gameologists here in the store, uh, come find them at Red Raccoon Games, located in downtown Bloomington, Illinois, where from what I can tell, is the only place that's selling one of the best sodas that I've had in quite some time. Ooh, you like the Wild Bills. Loving the Wild Bills. Do you get a favorite flavor? So I want to still try the mojito. Yeah. But the vanilla cream is, I'm a cream soda fan. And okay. I don't I don't want to say I'm a cream soda connoisseur because I'm always afraid someday I'm going to meet a real cream soda connoisseur that's like, <laughs> well, did you try the A&W of 2082? And I'll be like, what? No. Um, but it is probably one of my favorite. It's smooth. It's delicious. All of them have really unique flavors. The butterscotch that you had me had is now one of my wife's, like, she's got it in her brain. Yeah, that's that's my default is I keep going back to the butterscotch one. The mojito one, I just want to take it home, pour it over ice, and pour some rum in there with it, and you're ready to go drink at that point. It's fantastic. So if you want to try that out, come into the store. It is inside the frozen food section. Uh, I want to talk to you. I want to thank Jillian Mesner for the use of her theme music and feel free BK. to tell Yes. And feel free to tell us how we're doing by leaving a comment in the podcast app of your choice or come right to the source by emailing us at info at redraccoongames.com. If you throw the word podcast in the subject line, we'll do our best to give you a shout out on the show. But until next time, keep playing. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.